one of the things I share, and it has proven to be true time and time again, is that no matter where you think you're going, no matter what door you think is the next door that's going to open for you, uh, be prepared because there are doors are going to open that are going to surprise you. And I, I am living proof. When we get to the part about me becoming a president, I can tell you, Dave, I never, never uh, wanted to be a president of college. From Fiori Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners, and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore, and in this episode, I speak with Dr. Jim Murdaugh, president of Tallahassee Community College. Dr. Murdaugh grew up in Orlando and followed a girlfriend to Tallahassee, where he joined the Air Force ROTC at Florida State University and earned undergraduate and master's degrees in criminology. He soon began a long career in law enforcement that included time with the Leon County Sheriff's Office and investigating the high-profile Ted Bundy murders. Dr. Murdaugh would later lead the transformation of the Florida Public Safety Institute and considered retirement before a bear hug from a grateful mom caused him to reconsider the impact he could still have on students. That led to following the advice of close associates and his wife Sarah to apply for the TCC president position. The 30-year veteran of the Air Force Reserve has a passion for continuing education, entrepreneurship, and providing students opportunities for success. But in case you think Jim Murdaugh is all business, he also used to spend spring breaks with son Austin crisscrossing the country, visiting theme parks and riding roller coasters. We started our conversation talking about his early years. Grew up in Orlando, Florida. My father worked for a company called Martin Marietta, which is now Lockheed Martin. He uh, helped design missiles. That's what he did for a living. And uh, I grew up in a traditional household at the time, you know, back in, in, in the 50s when I was born, 1952, uh, where, you know, mom stayed home, dad worked. I had an older sister. I was what some people would call back then the beaver cleaver kind of family. <laughs> Yeah, I grew up, in or- grew up in Orlando, yeah. Okay, all the way through high school? All the way through, well, s- sort of. Uh, because Dad was designing missiles when I was a little guy, we moved all over the country and to some extent all over the world because they tested missiles in different climates. And so we moved a lot when I was very small, but I don't have much memory of that. But most of my memories really are about being in Orlando through uh, what we called junior high school and high school at the time. And then when I graduated high school, um, my my hope was to stay there, but uh, my parents were like, nope, it's time for you to, to uh, spread your wings. Well, I was dating a girl from Orlando at the time who came to Florida State University. Okay. And so— You followed I, a girl. I, I made that uh, really logical decision <laughs> to follow a girl to Tallahassee, Florida, yeah. to FSU. So that's how I came here to, to go to Florida State University. Okay. Now, I want to go back to the your dad's job in the 1950s designing missiles. That's Cold War era still, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of an interesting job for your dad to have in that era and climate of the world at the time. What Do you have any memory of that or oh, what do. that was like? I do. Well, so when I came to college, he actually accepted an assignment for the company to move over to an island called Kwajalein out in the Marshall Islands. And that's where they actually tested the missiles. I find it fascinating, Dave, that the two of the missiles he worked on uh, – were the the Sprint and the Spartan. And back then, those were designed to be anti-ballistic missile missiles. And they were designed to shoot down any incoming ICBMs. And they were quite effective. And so what, what the government would do, because I was a college kid, they would fly me out there in the summer and I could spend some time out there. And so I got a chance to sort of see from a distance, of course, uh, when they would test the missiles. Those are exactly the kinds of missiles that today uh, would be used to shoot down incoming ICBMs. Wow. So when you came to Florida State, did you have any idea what you wanted to do or study at that point? I did. And uh, 
I don't even know why, but when I came to Florida State, I decided I wanted to study geology. Now, I will tell you, I have no clue why <laughs> that even entered my mind. But I also entered— You don't—I mean, you didn't have a love of rocks or anything? Uh, you know, I don't know. That's the funniest <laughs> part. Um, but that's that was what I declared as my major. And then I, I got into Air Force ROTC because back in 1970, Vietnam was still uh, in bloom, I'll right. say. And so I decided that if I was going to go into the military, uh, particularly uh, around the Vietnam era, that I was going to go in as an officer. As an officer, yeah. So I, I joined Air Force ROTC. And I, I remember early on meeting with the colonel, the commander of, of the ROTC there at FSU, and he said, son, what's your major? And I said, well, I'm majoring in geology, sir. And at the time, I had good eyesight. I was a pilot category, and he said, that's not a problem. Just get just get a degree. It, it, it doesn't matter what your degree is in because you're going to be flying airplanes. Hmm. And I looked at him, and I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, we don't have geologists in the Air Force. Well, I went home that night, home meaning the dorm, went right. back to my dormitory, pulled out the catalog and started going through the catalog because, you know, when you're at that age, you know, it's like, my God, what do you mean I'm going to get a degree that doesn't mean anything? I'm not <laughs> going to do anything with it. And so in high school, I was, I was pretty active in the martial arts. And so for whatever reason, I decided criminology looks sort of interesting for me. And that's, so I changed my major and majored in criminology for my bachelor's degree and for my master's degree. Okay. So what was the connection to you between martial arts and criminology? Well, I guess I figured that if I went into law enforcement, that maybe martial arts would be, <laughs> Come would be helpful. Well, yeah, I, that's what I thought. Hand-to-hand -hand combat? Well, yeah, yeah except yeah, – and there are some martial arts that would be very handy. Unfortunately, you know, I was studying karate, and, and you don't kick people uh, as a law enforcement yeah, officer. Yeah, not, not so, a good plan. Right? No, it wasn't very helpful. But but that was my that was like jiu-jitsu or something, like wrestling be very, people? That yeah. would be very helpful. But yeah. at the age of 17, you know, that was my logic. You get your degree in criminology, or bachelor's and master's, mm -hmm. and then what's your plan after that? What are you thinking career-wise? Well, around that time, uh, Vietnam uh, had, had changed. So I, I finished my bachelor's degree in 1974, got an educational delay from the Air Force to, to continue my master's. When I finished my master's degree in 1976, uh, I got this notice from the Air Force. They said, thank you, son, uh, but we really— we really don't need as many pilots as we thought we were going to be needing. You know, the pipeline had really sort of changed. And so they gave me the opportunity to go into the Air Force active duty for a short tour uh, and then get out. And uh, and that's what that's exactly what I did. Okay. I did want to ask you also, what was FSU like during the end of Vietnam? Were there lots of protests? What oh, yeah, was the vibe yeah. on campus? Well, I will say it was very tough to be uh, – on, on a university campus in, ROTC. in, a, in a military uniform. Yeah. I, I remember uh, getting spit on. Really? And, and I hate to say this, or I, I probably – I guess the statute of limitations is gone. But, you know, let's come back to the fact that I had studied martial arts. So I, the guy who spit on me, I ruined his day. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> he did, probably deserved it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was – I mean, a lot of just like on campuses all over the country, a lot of turmoil. A lot of turmoil. Uh, you know, people picking sides, basically. Yeah, right? a lot of anti-military sentiment. But again, I I was just I was going to school full time, and then I I was working full time, so it didn't matter to me. Yeah, you leave college, you graduate, and then you you end up in law enforcement. How did that happen? Well, first, I, I did my stint in the Air Force. Right. Uh, I get out of the Air. They they released me from active duty and into the reserves, which will. We'll talk more about it in a minute. The part of having the short active duty stint was you were going to be committed to the reserves for eight years. So I drive back to Tallahassee, and one of the people I'd gotten to know in my master's program uh, actually took me in. I didn't have a place to stay. I mean, I just drove back to Tallahassee and um, looking for a job. And so they got me a job uh, with the state back then with an agency that no longer exists, BCJPA. Okay. Uh, I was a research assistant. So that was my very first job, a research assistant to the governor's police task force, which was awesome. And it was at a time when the state was looking at developing standards and goals for all sorts of areas of criminal justice. And so I was the research assistant to the governor's police task force. Okay. There was a corrections task force, a probation task force, a juvenile justice task force. There are all kinds of task forces. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm a wet behind the ears kid uh, working for the governor's police task force. Okay. 
probably a great learning opportunity, right? It was a great learning opportunity, and I was so blessed. That was the time when I when I got my very first mentor in life. I went to one of the meetings of the governor's task force, and these were big names. I mean, when you're a young kid with no experience, uh, this was headed by the sheriff of Jacksonville, a fellow by the name of Dale Carson, who back then was a legend, mm -hmm. retired FBI, uh, sheriff of Jacksonville, big deal. The commission had uh, the lieutenant governor. It had public safety director out of Miami-Dade. I mean, these were big names. And I, I go to a meeting, Dave, and I'll never forget, uh, we're sitting in this meeting, and the sheriff of Jacksonville, who's chairing it, looks at me and asks me for my opinion on something. And I kind of... Like, am I supposed to have an opinion? <laughs> yeah, I stammered a little bit, and I said, well, Sheriff, I, you know, I, I, I don't have any experience. Uh, this is my first job. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember exactly what I said, but basically along the lines of I really don't have anything to say. And he didn't make a big production out of it. He just we moved on with the meeting. And at the end of the meeting, shortly afterwards, my, now I'm a research um, assistant, I think. And I had a boss who had a boss who had a boss who had a boss. And ultimately, there right. was a division director somewhere up there, right? Yeah. So the division director comes to see me and he goes, what did you say to the sheriff today? And I said, uh, nothing. Why? He said, well, he wants you in his office tomorrow morning in Jacksonville at eight o'clock. <laughs> I'm like, you have no idea what's going on. I have no idea. And he had no idea. Right. And so back then, you know, I had to get a pool car and they, you didn't have cell phones and you never, so right. I, I got on the morning, I got on the, on the road early in the morning, crazy early in the morning and drive to Jacksonville, make sure I'm there and I can find it. And I get there and I go right. to his office. And at the time his office was, seemed like it was as big as a gymnasium. I mean, this guy was something else. And I, I go in there and I, and I sit down and he walks over and he said, uh, son, yesterday I asked you a question in a meeting and you told me that you didn't have any experience and, and you, you didn't have anything to offer. And I said, well, Sheriff, I'm sorry, but yes, that's exactly right. And he looks at me, Dave, and he says, son, there are people that have 10 years of experience and there are people that have one year of experience 10 times. Next time I ask you for your opinion, I'd like for you to give it to me. Hmm. I said, well, yes, sir. And he goes, you're free to go now. <laughs> So I, I get up, I, uh, I go out and make a, you know, I don't remember whether it was a collect call, but I made a call back to Tallahassee to the division director. And I, I told him, and he goes, you're kidding me. That was it. Said, that was it. And after that, he just took a liking to me. What, how did you receive that? I mean, what did you, what were you thinking when he said that to you? Well, I was stunned. I mean, I, and mostly it was like, you made me drive all the way over here <laughs> just to tell me that. Right. Um, but he did it to make a point. He did it to really impress upon me. Whatever my viewpoints were, whatever foundation I had for my viewpoints, I needed to offer them. And I will tell you, Dave, I carry that with me today. When I work with people and I'm in meetings with, with people and, they'll, and I'll have a committee and some committee members have a great deal to offer and some committee members are there, in my opinion, to learn. And I still see it today. I still, people, still see and interact with people who feel like they don't have anything to offer. And I think that's a tragic uh, condition, quite frankly, and I encourage leaders to really develop the, uh, the atmosphere, the culture where people are there to offer and people are there to learn. And we really need to encourage both in any kind of meetings or anything else that we do. So I, I carry that with me today. But yeah. he, he looked after me in meetings. He liked me. You could tell. It was just, it was wonderful. So that was an ongoing relationship. It was. You had. It yeah. was. That's it amazing. Was. Yeah. Tell us how you ended up at the Leon County Sheriff's Office. Yeah, this is probably something that people don't want to follow in terms of advice. So, so I, w I, I worked at the, uh, at the state for quite a while. And then my boss, um, let me back up, the sheriff's position had changed. And uh, at the time, Raymond Hamlin was sheriff in the 70s. Raymond gets defeated by Ken Katsaris. Ken Katsaris becomes sheriff. And he hired a, a brand new slate of captains and majors. And one of the guys that I worked for at this state agency had been in law enforcement actively before and, and uh, was recruited by Sheriff Katsaris to come over there as a captain. So he goes over as a captain. Well, around that time, there was some movement in the state agency and there was a promotional opportunity that came up. And I applied for it, like anybody probably would. Yeah. I didn't get it. And I was not happy. Well, that very day that I found out, I get a call from this captain offering me a job as a deputy sheriff. And, and out of 
the wrong reasons, I said, absolutely, absolutely. I'm <laughs> out of here. You were still ticked I'm off about I'm, the I'm, other I'm, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. So I'm going to go where I'm wanted. So I ended up going over uh, to Leon County as a deputy sheriff in okay. 19, 1977. All right. Well, that's a significant career change. So how was it being a, a deputy? And then you, you had to go through training, right? Correct. So I went through the academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, it was interesting. You know, the sh- Sheriff Katsaris was trying to change the culture of the department. And so I was one of those who he brought on that had education. And candidly, back then, um, I and others were referred to as college boys, mm. you know, by those deputies who had been around a long time that did right. not have any education. And they, they sort of looked down on us. And I'm going to say something. Now, you know I'm in higher education. I value education. But, Dave, some of the best law enforcement officers I ever worked with did not have anything beyond a high school diploma. Right. They were damn good cops. If you had a problem, trust me, you wanted one of them. But but it was very difficult for me uh, and others to be uh, one of because there were so many people that looked down upon us because they looked at us right. as, as just college boys. Right. Did you enjoy it? I mean, how did, how did you embrace this new role in your life? I loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed being a deputy. People do, people do law enforcement for different reasons, you know. Some, uh, I just enjoyed, quite frankly, feeling like I was helping people and feeling like I was protecting people from bad guys who might want to do harm. And so anytime I had an opportunity to do that, to intervene in a domestic uh, abuse case and, and put uh, the abuser in jail, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Right. And so I was, I was very fortunate. So I started in 1977. You may remember the Chi Omega killings, the Ted Bundy oh, case. Yes. So um, when that happened, uh, I was reassigned and, and assigned as a, one of the investigators. Now, I'm, I, I always like to say, Dave, I'm probably one of the only people you'll ever talk to that says I had a minor role on the Ted Bundy case, but I did. I had a right. minor role. Everybody else I know who, who was involved likes to claim credit for all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but I, I, my job was to investigate um, whether there was a relationship between Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy, the two who were, who were killed and, and uh, brutally assaulted by, by Bundy to see if there was a connection. So we had all kinds of different aspects to the investigation. And the reason I was assigned to that was because I was, I'll say my words, I was a college boy. I wrote really good reports. Mm-hmm. And so they said they wanted me. And they knew it was high profile. Right. So they wanted yeah. me involved so that I could do the background investigations and write good reports. Fortunately for me, I was with the department for two years and four days when uh, Sheriff Katsaris promoted me to sergeant. Okay. And I say that because you had to have two years. Mm-hmm. To, to be a sergeant. Right. So I get promoted to sergeant. I was young. I was very young. Uh, there was a lot of animosity by some of the folks who felt like they should have been promoted. Yeah. And so that was my first taste of, of what it's like to move uh, within an organization from being one of the group to being a supervisor of a group and the dynamics that are associated with that. And it's, again, lessons that I carry with me today, lessons that I share when I teach leadership. Right. After time at, at, in Leon County, you went to the Fort Walton Beach Police Department? I did. Right. Uh, so the fella who I mentioned that went over to Leon County as a captain uh, and recruited me, he went to Fort Walton Beach as the police chief and recruited me to come over there as commander of operations. Uh, operations over there was over patrol and detectives. And so, you know, I, I must tell you, he was smart. He asked me to come over and meet with him to talk about it. Uh, we, we met at a restaurant overlooking a beautiful bay, probably was staring at the bay more than I was looking at him. And uh, I decided that that was something that would be a good thing to do. Yeah. I was going to say not the worst place to live <laughs> no, to work. No, yeah. not at all. Yeah. All right. So you were there for how long? A, couple, a year or two? A couple years. Okay. Um, the politics over there. You know, and I'm going to I'm going to digress a little bit because I think I think the purpose of your podcast is to help people learn some lessons. Yeah. So when I get hired over there, uh, the chief was again I knew him, but this guy was black and white. I mean, there was no gray with this guy, and I get there and uh, he had offended just about everybody because, as one example, he would refuse to go to a chamber of commerce breakfast. Because in his words, I might be asked to fix a ticket. 
And I would look at them and I'd say, they're going to ask, they're going to come to your office and ask you to fix a ticket if they're going to ask. Right. The answer is still the same. The answer is no. Um, but he would refuse to go, Dave. And so he made a lot of people mad. Yeah. Along the way, he made so many people mad. I go, gosh, I could tell you stories, but I don't want to trash him. But, but he made so many people mad, important people, the sheriff, legislators, I could go on and on, obviously the city commissioners. Yeah. They called for his termination. The city manager refused to terminate him. So they terminated the city manager. Wow. Put a new city manager in interim. And then and then the new city manager fired him. Called me in and asked me to be the acting uh, interim police chief. I was young, Dave. I was too young, frankly. Yeah. I did it. I mean, what are you gonna say? Um, but and I did it well. I didn't I didn't offend, I didn't make anybody mad. But along the way, uh, when I when I became the interim police chief, we had we had uh, seven civil rights suits pending. The department had just voted to unionize. Our crime rate had gone up something like 30% from the year before. And I could go on and on. Let's just say it wasn't a good time. Yeah. I was engaged to be married. And so things were just stressful. And I was offered a job to come back to Tallahassee by uh, Jim Smith, who was at the time Attorney General of Florida. Right. So I came back to Tallahassee to work for Jim. He was looking for somebody to run a program called Help Stop Crime. It was the state's crime prevention program. Okay. And so uh, I came back as a bureau chief working for Jim running that program. It's amazing. I know in my own life too, you can plot out your career path and oh, what you think, oh, oh, but oh, no. relationships and opportunities sometimes come out of nowhere. I think they always do. I do a lot of mentoring now. Invariably, I, I one of the things I share, and it has proven to be true time and time again, is that no matter where you think you're going, no matter what door you think is the next door that's going to open for you, uh, be prepared because there are doors are going to open that are going to surprise you. And I, I am living proof. When we get to the part about me becoming a president, I can tell you, Dave, I never, never uh, wanted to be a president of college. Right. That door opened, and I'm grateful that it did. But, yeah, but, yeah I, I, I get a kick out of the young students. I meet with students all the time and student groups. And, you know, you'll ask them, you know, what, what are your plans? Where do you think you're going? And, and some of them have very, very well-defined plans. And I'm like, good for you. Uh, <laughs> however, do, do, do yourself a favor. Yeah. Uh, don't close any doors yeah. because you're going you're gonna to be surprised yeah. in life. Yeah, that's great advice. So after the attorney general's office— you began kind of a, another long period of your career at the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. I did. What was the impact of that period in your career? Well, so training was, was way more comfortable and common for me. But along the way, the state had created a new agency at the time, uh, the Department of Juvenile Justice. Hmm. And we lost a division director and the bureau chief over human resources who went over and became part of that brand new state agency. And so and at the time, the commissioner came to me and said, Jim, I want you to go take over HR. And I looked at him and I said, what did I do to you? <laughs> and because uh, I had a, I, I must confess, I had a very negative impression of HR. He said, no, 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 I want you to go down there and change something. We need to make some changes. And I said, thank you, but no. So I turned it down twice. And then the third time he came to me, he, he, I will say he offered me more money. But the third time he came to me, uh, he said, you know, Jim, I'm, this is really, I'm not asking. I need you to go to HR. Right. And I was around the mark of 20 years in the, in the retirement system. And I remember talking to my wife and said, you know, maybe I should consider trying something, you know, toward the end of my career. Allegedly, the end of my career. So, so <laughs> not I, the end of your career. No, it wasn't. But yeah. so I did. I went to HR, and I will tell you something. It's one of the best experiences I've ever had. Uh, you know, you learn the inner workings of what it takes um, in an organization. You deal with the most confidential and sensitive things that people have in their lives: their egos, their pay, their sometimes their medical issues, and it's an incredibly important job. And and so I learned a respect for that, and I also learned. I hate to say it, but I learned how to play the game, hmm. how to uh, reclassify positions if you want to get them more money, you know, all of those sorts of things. But I enjoyed that experience a lot. And, yeah. and it has helped me in, uh, in subsequent roles. In my current role, you know, when I deal with, with issues at the college, I understand the need to be equitable across all job classes. I understand that we don't set precedents that we can't live with as it relates to pay. And so we, it's been very helpful. Right. Yeah, I was going to say it was laying a foundation for future needs that at the time you had no idea right. 
would be needed. Right. Well, you're always going to have people in organizations. And it's, uh, you know, one of my three fundamental values at the college is to be an employer of choice. Right. Yeah. All right. And then it, at some point during this period, I don't know where it falls in the timeline, but you earned your doctorate in uh, public administration. Correct. Right. When, when did you have time to do that? While I was at FDLE back in the 90s, I guess, um, the state created a new uh, entity called the Florida Criminal Justice Executive Institute, and it was housed at FDLE. A fellow by the name of Jim Sewell was the first director. He hired me as the first. I know Jim. He does. I work with FSA a lot, and he does a lot of their oh, yeah. ongoing training. Jim's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and we're extremely close, by the way. He's oh, yeah. my son's godfather. Oh, really? Yeah. But we, uh, he recruited me to be the manager to develop the initial parts of the training. And we did that in conjunction with Florida State's public administration school because it actually uh, – people who came through the program – actually were able to earn both undergraduate and graduate uh, credit at Florida State in public administration. So I'm working with these professors, and, and, and so as you know, Jim had a doctorate. Well, I had a lady working for me who had a doctorate, and both of them were constantly on me, Jim, Jim, you need to go back and get a doctorate. And so they finally convinced me, and it was possible to do a part-time PhD program in public administration, and so I, I signed up for that. Right. Did you enjoy that? Oh, process I and oh, the, oh, I loved it. Yeah. I loved the intellectual stimulation. You know, I, I not not everybody needs a doctorate, but 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 I will say, people who are working should consider getting additional education because for me, you know, you got the daily things that you're doing and you and and the operational things that you're solving, but it's intellectually stimulating. Uh, to be in a room and it has nothing to do with your daily work, yeah. but you talk about issues and you explore policies and processes. Yeah, that's great. All right. Then the next step in 1999, you become the executive director of the Florida Public Safety Institute. Right. Um, was it the Pat Thomas Academy at the yep. time? Yep. 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 So how did you end up there? Well, T.K. Weatherall was president of, of TCC. A lot of people forget that. They, were, they know him as president of Florida State. Right. But before he was president of Florida State, he was president of TCC. And in, uh, I guess it was around that time, he – and the, the words that are used, if you go back and look at the press, the words are that TK stole the academy away from Leon County Schools and, and Lively. Uh, he had the legislature transfer the Pat Thomas Law Enforcement Academy from Leon County Schools to TCC. And so he was looking for someone to run it. Uh, there was a lot of angst because the, the academy out there serves both state agencies and local agencies. It's, uh, it's unique because, uh, because we're in Tallahassee. We, we served at the time, I don't know how many there are now, but we we're 12 state law enforcement agencies. So there was a lot of, of concern about the politics of it all. And TK, if, if nothing else, was certainly tuned into politics. So <laughs> he, he, uh, he learned that I had both local law enforcement experience with Leon County um, and state experience with FDLE. Right. So I was sort of a uh, a good alternative to work. I you was thought known, you could navigate that well? Right. I was a known commodity. And the way, if you ever met TK, you probably did. But, you know, in TK's words and his his tone, he was like, and Jim, I just I just had to hire a cop who was working on his doctorate. I mean, it's <laughs> just so very foreign concept, you know. Right. Uh, so he recruited me to come over and develop that into something. And uh, fortunately for me, you know, he was he was very effective with getting resources from the legislature. And so we built that place. We grew that place. Uh, along the way, Dave, it became apparent to me that that the Pat Thomas Law Enforcement Academy brand is very important locally. But I would go to Washington asking for federal money and they would think I was Pat Thomas. Uh, <laughs> right. And, and it, it just didn't resonate with people. The other thing was around that time, I got the Tallahassee Fire Department to allow us to create the Tallahassee Fire Academy. But the, the fire chief at the time said, Jim, we're not going to have a fire academy under a police academy. That ain't going to happen. Right. So um, I developed the idea that we should become the Florida Public Safety Institute. And by doing that, we could then have all of the academies retain their identities under the umbrella of the Florida Public Safety Institute. So right now, you've got the Pat Thomas Law Enforcement Academy. You've got the Tallahassee Fire Academy. You have the Florida Highway Patrol Academy, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Academy. You have all these academies that exist at this place, which we call the Florida Public Safety Institute. Right. I've been out there multiple times, mm -hmm. and it is 
pretty amazing when you go through and you'll see just this combination of of public safety happening all over the place. I mean, it's I haven't been to any other academies, but I can't imagine there's anything quite like this one here. There's not. So I'm, I, obviously, I'm pretty proud of that. It's 1,500 acres. It's the largest public safety training center in the southeastern United States, except for the federal law enforcement training center in uh, Glencoe, Georgia. It is very unique. Most academies in Florida uh, don't have the infrastructure that we have. We have firearms ranges, driving ranges, diving facilities, classrooms, computer labs, uh, food service, housing, all in one place. We're the only academy, I think, that has all of that. Most places they have to go uh, they'll they'll do their classroom on a campus and then they'll drive somewhere else to do their firearms work. You don't do that with us. It's all in one place. Right. And it's impacting agencies all over the state. Indeed. Right? Indeed. Right. Right. So things are cranking along there, growing, doing well. And then 2010, TCC needs a new president. Right. So when did you decide and how did you decide to enter your name into the ring for being president of TCC? Well... And again, this is one of those deals where um, you never know what door is going to open. So before that, I had, I had gratefully, I had finished my doctorate. Uh, candidly, I had these grandiose plans of how I was going to retire someday and sit on a beach with a laptop computer and teach. I mean, I, this was my fantasy at the time. And actually, I was in drop. Uh, so I had entered drop. Right. Assuming that, that my predecessor was going to be at the college for quite some time. And what does DROP mean for those who aren't familiar with the program? Oh, it's the Def Deferred Retirement Option Program for those who are in the Florida retirement system. Uh, you enter DROP. You're allowed to participate in DROP for a maximum of five years. Uh, you accumulate some funds within those five years. But at the end of five years, you must leave employment or you forfeit your, your DROP monies that you have earned. So, so it's an incentive to retire at a fixed time, a decided time. Exactly, right? okay. exactly. So I had gone into drop. And again, I had this fantasy. By golly, I was going to go teach on a beach. But before that happened, my predecessor decided to leave and become president of St. Petersburg College. You know, the way things happen in life, I don't care whether it's fate. I don't care if you're religious. I don't care what it is. But the, what things happened and they came together uh, in, a, in a very unique way for me. I had, this is sad to say, but I had read a book I'll start with that, which is no way to make a decision. But I, I had read a book called Halftime, Dave. Mm -hmm. And it was about a, a, a journey of a man who had been very successful in life. And he reached a point in his life, and he referred to it as halftime, where, where for the rest of his life, he wanted to be significant. Mm -hmm. Success was great, but he wanted to be significant. Right. For some reason, that really resonated with me. But the, the single most important event— well, let me stop and say I had two trustees at the time who liked what we had done out there, thought we had done a great job out there, thought I'd been very entrepreneurial and suggested that I applied. And my standard answer to them and to others at the time was, I'm not an academic. You know, I, I'm, thank you, but I'm not an academic. My wife, who's the most wonderful woman I've ever known in my life, told me I should apply. But the single most important incident for me, now remember my job out there was to help people become law enforcement officers, firefighters, corrections officers, and so forth. I was very proud of that. Yeah. We had a great track record. But I had also created a dual enrollment program with the high school in Gadsden County, which is right across the street from the academy. Right where high school seniors would go to high school in the morning and come across the street in the afternoon and go through our corrections academy so that when they graduated from high school, they might be able to get a job as a corrections officer. Now, a job as a corrections officer in Gadsden County is a very well-paid job. The very first cohort that we had, all this is around the same time, very first cohort we had, all African-American one of the young ladies gets a job at a Liberty Correctional Institution with the state. And I ran into her, and I happened to know that she bought a home. She bought a car for her grandmother. She brought two siblings out of foster care to come live with her. Wow. And I ran into her mother, and her mother sees me, comes up to me with tears in her eyes. Hmm. And what she said to me changed my life. She gives, gives me this bear hug, and she said, thank you for moving my daughter into the middle class. Wow. Now, I've done a lot of things that I'm proud of. But I got to tell you, when all of this was happening around this time, and I thought to myself, goodness, if I could have the opportunity 
to, to lead this organization, to lead this college, and to change lives and to change families, I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. And so I applied, um, worked very hard to learn the things I didn't l- know, and I still, still do, frankly. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to get selected. Yeah. I remember it was a, there were a lot of people applying for that job. I mean, it was, it was a tough process. Sure. Well, oh, yeah. very tough process. Yeah. A f- very thorough process. You know, they, you, you had the meetings with all faculty where faculty could ask you any questions they want. The meetings with all what we call classified staff, people who are not faculty, uh, dinner with uh, the foundation, dinners in each of the three counties that we serve with business leaders. Um, obviously, a lot of work with the trustees. There's a very intensive process. So what were your first thoughts when you were offered the job? What, what was going through your head when you realized you were going to be president of one of Florida's best community colleges? I'm not sure I can remember. Um, I mean, I was just pure excitement and a bit of surprise. Humbled. Yeah. Humbled is probably the biggest word in, the, in this mix. I understood the gravity of it. I understood the responsibility that it would, that it would entail. Proud to have been selected. I had a lot of support from the, the executive team, the vice presidents at the college. I came in. I didn't get rid of any vice president. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we worked through issues. Some left after a while, but, but I didn't come in with a, with a mandate to clean house. And so I knew, I knew their strengths because I had served on the executive team with them and then became the president. And they, they were uh, surprisingly gracious. I mean, I, to be candid, I go back to my times when I made sergeant and people were angry and said I, I was wearing their sergeant stripes. Uh, I had none of that. I mean, these folks were professional. They were, they were supportive. Right. Uh, and so we had a, a very positive relationship. That's great. Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Fiore Communications. Just like people, every business has a story to tell. And we've been helping our clients tell their story since 2001, because who you are as a company is just as important as what you do. To learn more about how telling your story can make a difference in your business, visit FioriCommunications.com. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. So, okay, now you're at TCC. Um, as I mentioned before, TCC's played a huge role in my life and my family you know, over the years. Why is TCC such a vital part of our community? Well, we're grounded in the three counties that we serve. You know, our mission is really clear that we are here to produce talent for the three counties that we serve. Now, we produce talent for others as well. The difference between universities and colleges uh, really has to do with the the local focus. Mm -hmm. Colleges are set up in statute to serve districts. And so I have three counties, Leon, Gadsden, and Wakulla. Uh, That doesn't mean we don't serve everybody else, but that's our primary mission. So most of our students who come to us get their degrees or their credentials, and they stay here and work. That's one of the reasons in healthcare, the hospitals love our nurses because our nurses come from the community, they get their degree, they stay in the community. Right. There are a lot of folks who come to Florida State, Florida A&M, for example, who get their nursing degree and then they go back home to Missouri or Kansas uh, and doesn't really add to the local workforce. Some stay, obviously, but, but not to the extent that ours do. Right. It seems like the pendulum is swinging back a little bit as far as feeling that everybody needs to go on to a four-year university. Mm-hmm. While TCC certainly provides a great path to a four-year university, why are some of those other options, certificates, trainings, why are those also important for the students in our community? Well, candidly, they always have been. And uh, even and so you can tell from my background that I don't push the traditionally academic transfer programming. We do it. Uh, we, are the, we are the highest productivity transfer to Florida State University of any college in Florida. Uh, but having said that, because of my background, I am very keenly interested in skills and credentials that get people jobs. And um, we've, we've had these conversations, Dave, for a long time. Surprisingly, it's the parents who have a hard time with that. Most parents won't say, I want my kid to go to college. Right. And the kid may be not interested in coming to college. So this is really not a new thing. Um, and we focused on this for a long time. Our proudest moments really have started as a result of the pandemic. When the pandemic hit, I mean, we focused on rapid credential programs uh, that could help people reskill or upskill and get back into the workforce if they'd been displaced. Right. And perhaps the most fascinating statistic that I'll share is this past year. So we're we're hopefully coming out of the pandemic or out of the pandemic. I'm, I'm I not hope sure, so. Depending on who you want to talk to. Right. 
our our credit enrollment was flat or actually down a little bit. That's credit credit enrollment meaning students who come to us for an AA degree for the purpose of transfer. Okay. Our non-credit enrollment, which is career and technical education programs, they are welding and HVAC and commercial truck driving and, and so forth. We were up 165%. Wow. So we are seeing now um, a change in the, in the appetite of students in terms of what they want to come and, and get. Most of them are not interested in coming for two to four years. They're interested in getting training that they need, getting a job, and making money. Right. And I know you work hard and workforce development works hard to align mm-hmm. programs and mm-hmm. training with, with um, community business needs mm-hmm. and industries and making sure that you're producing talent that leads directly to jobs, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we, we use a variety of sources. One of the most important is the Department of Economic Opportunity. They produce data across the state for what they call hot occupations. And in our area, they always give you the top 10. You know, what are the top 10 hottest jobs? Where, where are employers needing the talent the most? We provide training and credentials for every single one of the top 10 in our region. And we're, we're one of the only colleges that can say that. Hmm. Yeah. And you just recently have a new collaboration with Amazon, right? We do. So what, what is that program? You're going to provide training for Amazon workers? Yes. Okay. Uh, Amazon is really uh, uh, focused on making sure that their workforce uh, is is given the opportunity to develop themselves. And so, you know, we're, we're taking their lead. They tell us what areas that we provide uh, training in, and, right. and we certainly provide the training in those areas. Okay. You mentioned before that you still get to interact with students on a regular basis. Yes. Why is that important to you? And, you know, I assume you, you enjoy that, and that's important for you to kind of, as a president, and, you know, to stay in touch with students and not, not just be purely academic in what's going on. Indeed. Gosh, I'll come back to that. That you know, what what really struck me with that one story that I told. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, yesterday I'm meeting with a group called the uh, Men of Color Collective, uh, and it's an effort on our part to deal with the success of Black and Brown men uh, in college. There's one young man um, sitting in there, and I had met him at a. Uh, uh, effort recently, uh, a luncheon with students and had an opportunity to sit at a table and talk with him and give him some advice. Yesterday, we're sitting at this this collective luncheon and he makes a comment publicly mm-hmm. about how my conversation with him changed his life. Wow. Dave, you know, listen, yeah, I don't care what you do in life. When you have an opportunity to hear from a student or anybody else that something you said mattered, I don't think there's a, a better paycheck. Yeah. And even though you've, you know, thousands and thousands of students have come through, it's right. just that one sure. connection to one person that sure. and I hear it a lot. matters and, a lot. I, I hear, yeah. And, and, and you've, you know, taking the time to do it, I'll go all the way back to Dale Carson. He took the time to do it. I see why now. I see it because I get to interact with students, to hear what their journey is about, to hear their, their – and sometimes just to solve problems for them. You know, problems that are easy for a president to solve. You know, yeah. somebody has a – looking for an internship. You're looking for what – do what do you want to intern in? Oh, okay, great. Hold on a minute. Pick up the phone and call and say, I'm standing here with Dave Fiore. He's looking for an internship. You got anything? Right. Yeah, okay. Well, let me put him on the phone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, that's the stuff that I, that I get joy from. Yeah, I bet. All right, you've been honored with many awards since you've been at TCC, but just most recently, the 2022 Entrepreneurial President of the Year from the National Association for Community College Entrepreneurship. What does true entrepreneurship mean to you, and what are some of the new programs that have been launched under your leadership? Sure. Well, thank you. Uh, entrepreneurship can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. There's intrapreneurship. You know, we're, we, we, we encourage uh, people at the college to be entrepreneurial in our business practices, and we do. What this was referring to was really some of the things that we do in the community. One of the most successful things we've done is in Wakulla County. Uh, years ago now, we started an oyster aquaculture program. We started it with uh, seed money. That's a terrible w- f- phrase because it literally was seed money to buy seed right. for o- oysters. And we had uh, 10 students. Uh, I went to our foundation, Dave, because we didn't have any money to start the program. and There's no financial aid available. Okay. But we, we learned about uh, a technique of oyster farming, ca- oyster aquaculture called Australian long long line where you where you basically are farming with crates on the surface of the water 
I won't bore you with the details. It's fascinating. Uh, but I will tell you that I went to the foundation. I said, I don't, we don't have the money to do this. Would you help us create a micro loan program? And so our foundation gave us $75,000. We gave $7,500 each to 10 students. That allowed them to buy all the gear. It allowed them to buy the seed, which is called SPAT. Right. Uh, it allowed us to pay for the instruction. And we started with that group, that cohort of 10 students. Uh, the legislature, for the first time ever in the state of Florida, gave us what's called a water column lease in, in Panacea, meaning we, we had a lease from the very surface of the water all the way to the bottom. And so we started this program. Can't remember how many years it's been in operation now, but I will tell you, I'll fast forward to today. What the purpose of that program is to teach people to become their own boss. Uh, we teach them how to stand up an LLC. We give them all the tips and tricks and so forth to, to create their own businesses. I'm told that, that if you, and so these are individual businesses, right? Lots of them. I'm told that if you were to add up the number of graduates and put them in one company, we would be about the fourth or fifth largest company in Wakella County. Wow. We've had as many, uh, uh, between our students and our graduates, we've had as many as 12 million oysters in the water at one time. <laughs> Wow. being farmed. So it's that kind of stuff where, you, again, you just get, you get that taste of helping somebody become their own boss. Right. And that's, you know, in today's world, that's a lot of people want to skip to that, you know, and, and which is awesome, but they need some foundation of it's, it's harder than it looks. Sure. Right. Sure. So, sure. Yeah, that's great. All right. I want to touch on another important aspect of your life that you mentioned earlier, and that was your military service. Hmm. Um, you're a 30-year veteran of the United States Air Force Reserve right? You were called to active duty in both Gulf Wars and after 9-11, on right? My, on 9-11, yeah. On 9-11. Mm-hmm. Wow. So first, thank you for your service. <laughs> thank you. So how did that time and that service shape you as a person? First of all, I'm grateful the military does a lot to develop leadership skills. I'm, I'm grateful for that part. It shaped me a lot, Dave, because I, I, I learned to operate under a great deal of stress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of what I did was very, very stressful. And so it helps me deal with things today. I don't get stressed out. I don't get worked up about things because I have context. Um, The missions were very important and uh, very proud of that. Great people. What specifically Uh, were you doing? I was commander of security forces at Eglin Air Force Base. All right. You also mentioned your wonderful wife. So I wanted to ask you about your family you know, kind of their role in all this? Well, again, my wife is just phenomenal. We've been married for 29 years. We have a 25-year-old son who's in Orlando uh, going to UCF and uh, with a desire to work in theme parks. He's getting a degree in theme park management. Okay. Which is kind of cool. That's very uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, which and what is, are their names? Uh, my son is Austin. So mm-hmm. he, he developed this fascination for theme parks when he was growing up. Every spring break, he and I went to theme parks all over the country. That was our thing, dad and son. Wow. Uh, I can remember one particular week of spring break. We went to three different states, flew around going to theme parks. So this kid loves That's roller coasters. That's really fun. Yeah. yeah. And mom doesn't care for roller coasters. And so this was a great dad-son thing. Yeah. And he, this is a – this. I forget, Dave. Do you have sons? I do, too. Okay, so then you'll probably relate because I think boys are late bloomers when it comes to figuring stuff out. <laughs> but, but and we only have the one. But yeah. but he uh, he came through TCC and the semester before he graduated, he came into my office one day and sat down and said, "Dad, I have figured out what I want to do," which floored me. Yeah. And I said, "Well, tell me about it." He said, "Well, I found out that University of Central Florida has a degree at the Rosen College uh, in theme park management." Well, heck, I didn't even know there was such a degree. Yeah. So off he's gone. So he's he just became a senior, and he's working full. Um, I say working full time, almost full time at Universal Studios. Loves to work. Loves Universal Studios, and that's his plan is to is to go into that field, which is cool. That is very cool. So my wife Sarah. You know, we met you know, a long time ago, uh, got to know each other sort of as friends, and then she lived in Orlando at the time. It's one of those, you know, back in the day, you, you'd had these phone calls that you paid a lot for, if you remember. You didn't have <laughs> cell phones. No. And so our phone bills were sporty. Yeah. And we just, we just uh, developed a real friendship, which, which turned into much more than that. Jim, looking back, what is the one thing or person that changed or altered the trajectory of your life to this point? Well, I would have to say becoming president of the college. It changed the trajectory of my life in in lots of ways. It gave me opportunities that I never thought I would have. 
I hate to be crass, but it, it certainly changed my life financially. Um, presidents are paid pretty well. Yeah. And so it opened up opportunities that, that uh, for us and for our future that um, otherwise would not have been quite as bright as they are now. Yeah. And then the final question, mm. the name of the podcast is How I Got Here. So we've talked about how you got to this point in your life. Where do you think here will be for you in three to five years from now? You know, I don't know. I get this question a lot. You know, people will say, gosh, Jim, you've been president for 12 years. Right. And you almost yeah. retired once. Exactly. So, so it's like, you know, I hate to say it like, you know, how, how long are you going to keep doing this? When right. are you going to retire? I get the question in a lot of different ways, and I don't know the answer to that question. A lot of people who have retired and done it well have said to me, Jim, you'll know when it's time. And I can tell you, Dave, it ain't time, but I don't know when that time will be. On the other side of the coin, I mean, first of all, I can retire. Uh, I've got plenty of time in the retirement system. So it's not a matter of needing to be the here longer in order to become financially secure. That's not, that's not necessary. It's really more about, you know, what drives me internally. But I also want to be mindful of the fact that, you know, um, two parts. Number one, every CEO needs to know when to get out of the way and make room for the next person to pass the baton to. You can stay too long. One of my biggest fears is I don't want to stay too long. Right. I don't want people to be saying, when is that guy going to go? Um, you know, as, as long as we're hitting high notes, we're getting awards, we're, 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 we're much requested, we meaning uh, the folks who work at the college, vice presidents, deans, directors. I'm sending people all over the country to conferences to speak right. be because what we're doing is, is, uh, is regarded as, as pretty darn good. So having said that, you know, you, I got to find that sweet spot about when, when would be the best time to get out of the way, when would be the best time to pass the baton. Uh, and I, I just haven't been able to kind of nail that down in my head. I have scenarios, you know, in my head. And luckily my health is good. And so it's not like I'm, I'm worried about that. But any day things could change. Sure. And so for the, for the foreseeable future, I'm going to be riding this horse. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiori Communications, who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts, and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, follow us on social media or email us at podcast at fioricommunications.com.